HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Patina Events at Brooklyn Botanic Garden, an idyllic location for weddings, corporate events, and parties of any style. Visit us at patinaevents.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're bringing you four stories about lost and found culinary treasures. We are searching for what will be lost, and we're trying to rejuvenate it. What we try to do is collect these sourdoughs that contribute to the biodiversity of sourdough in order to store them, to document them, and be able to preserve them for the future. It's bringing back the history and just being part of that time that just, it's, there's nothing like it. You know, there's, there's nothing like it. When fame comes late, uh, I'm sure it's just as sweet as when it comes earlier. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and Three. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, it's April 9th, 2019. We're sitting here in the Heritage Radio Network studio in the back of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick. And tomorrow's a historic night. It's the 8th Annual Brisket King in New York City event. We're very proud to have some of the, the chefs and pitmasters here with us today. Um, let's go around the room and everyone will introduce themselves because it's quite a diverse cast of characters here. Yeah, hi. I'm John, John Gower from Devon in England. Uh, second year over at Brisket King. Really looking forward to it. And you've got a farm in England. Yeah, yeah, we've got a farm down in the southwest. What's it called? Quiet Waters Farm. You can find that online. And it does some cool stuff. And um, your buddy, uh, the Salt Cured Pig, is a really cool site on uh, Facebook. But, John? Yeah, uh, my name is John Patterson from southeast Michigan. Um, yeah, founder of the Salt Cured Pig, which uh, was just a curiosity about 10 years ago. And then it's grown to 23,000 members now. And it, it's... Uh, we're just trying to figure out what to do with it now. It's great. We're going to be talking a lot about, you know, the inner workings of barbecue and rubs and this brotherhood community. And um, a big part of that is our other guests. Thanks, guys. Hey, Matt Abdu here from Pig Beach Barbecue in Gowanus, Brooklyn. Our first year competing at Brisket King. We're super excited. Well, you know, by the time most of you uh, listen to the podcast, the, the winner will be chosen, but we don't know yet. Uh, last year, John Gower and John Patterson, their team won second place. But Matt... Um, the the backstory on this is that you you're it's kind of tragic but um your pitmaster Jeff Mishner died last year and I know he had always wanted to participate in the Brisket King event. Yeah, so uh we had a, a horrible loss to us last year. My uh, uh our executive chef Jeff Mishner, uh, he's also he's very intertwined in my life. He was also my brother-in-law, he's my wife's twin brother and uh my dear friend and uh, he was definitely taken from us too soon and competing in this competition was something that he really 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 wanted to do and we you know definitely wanted to get him involved into it and then this past may he suffered a sort of tragic sudden brain bleed that he never recovered from so we're competing this year uh, in his honor doing our best to just to make people happy with a sandwich that he created that he loved cooking and loved making and serving to the guests tomorrow it's great and then for our listeners ongoing now so there's a fundraiser for 
his family. For tell us about that yep. for his so, daughter's so college fund. Thank you, Jimmy. So it's uh, Wednesday, April. I'm sorry, Saturday, April 13th, from 12 to 4. We've invited up some legendary pitmaster friends of ours that we've made across the years and uh, and during our journeys barbecuing and competitions like Memphis and May. And they're all coming up, cooking a tasting size portion of their dish. We've got incredible sponsorships from across the board, from uh, local spirits and and beer, and all of the meat's been donated really graciously from New York Prime Beef. And we're throwing a big fundraiser for his baby girl, Hayes. He, she was only 16 months old when Jeff passed away, and uh, she was everything to him. So we're doing our best to raise a bunch of money to create a future fund for and her. she's your niece also. She's my niece, yeah. So we're doing our best to create this future fund, this fundraiser for her, so that she can go to college and she can be taken care of the way that Jeff always wanted to make sure that she was taken and care of. And we're going to talk more about this throughout the show, but the, quickly, the best way for the next few months, yes. people can go to your site yeah, and we'd be, do we'd the be GoFundMe. Honored. Please come check out our site. There's a link uh, www.pigbeachnyc.com There's a link on our website to go to the GoFundMe page where if you're listening to this now and you can find it in your hearts to donate $5, 10 $20, whatever, you're, whatever is within your means, it'd be greatly uh, greatly appreciated. Or you can just go to a GoFundMe website and search Jeff Michener Barbecue Benefit and the link will be there. And we appreciate anything and your generosity and kindness and thank you for listening. Well, that's great. Well, um, it sets the stage for this show. You know, as many of you know, I, I was in the hospital last year and it's funny, I was in a hospital a month after Jeff was, the same hospital in Manhattan and uh, I survived. So I feel for these guys. But let's talk about this the barbecue brotherhood or sisterhood. Yes, sir. Uh, community. <laughs> we can't use every term that we use. Familyhood. Familyhood. Um, you guys are, are got a lot of overlap. So let's talk about some of the barbecue guys that you guys know in common. And I know that one of them, Phil Wingo, is going to be at your yes, event sir. at Pig Beach. Good He's old, also coming to Brisket King tomorrow. Good old Pork Mafia, our boy Phil Wingo. Uh, we met him a few years back on the barbecue circuit at Memphis in May, and he sort of has just been part of our barbecue team, which is called Salty Rinse Barbecue, is our competitive barbecue team name. Uh, he's going to be one of the pitmasters joining us on Saturday. We also have Chris Lilly from Big Bob Gibson in Decatur, Alabama. We have Mikey Amy Mills from 17th Street Barbecue. We have Craig Barrage and Leslie Work from Ubon's Barbecue. We have Kelly Dallas from Hogapalooza and Wynn, Arkansas. Um, oh my God, I'm forgetting like everyone's names. I'm on the spot right now, but uh, we have a ton of great. We got Billy support. Durney. We got from Billy Durney from Barbecue. hometown. We got Ed Randolph from Hanson Devil Barbecue. Our local guys participating. Uh, we have Gotham Burger Social Club smashing up some burgers uh, for us on that day. We have Ample Hills Ice Cream setting up a little ice cream stand for the day. It's just really incredible to see how this barbecue familyhood really does come together. And we talk about it often of just how welcoming and opening that barbecue guys are in general like if you're in need when when jeff passed away i can't even tell you the amount of phone calls and support we got from all the pitmasters that we've met across the country and they all really wanted to do something to help and that's kind of how this this event came to be was just taking all of this love and support from this incredible community and putting it together into this event for the day yeah and, and guys so let's just Let's talk about Phil Wingo. That that triggered a, a note with you guys, rubs and some other things that you guys have in common. Yeah, I, um, John Patterson here again. Um, I, when I started uh, Salt Cured Pig, it was mainly about curing meats and things like that. It wasn't so much about barbecue, but the reality is a lot of it has to do with pork. Um, and we dived deep, and we wanted people that were really good in all fields from the farmer all the way up. And eventually... Um, Getting labeled as pork dork, um, nice. everything else. That's a <laughs> um, great name. D pork Chopra, um, <laughs> Boss Hog. Aaliyah, you're writing I, these down, right? <laughs> D pork Chopra. I love it. Um, but uh, I was throwing one year through a boucheret, and uh, Phil showed up, and I've thrown some other events. Phil showed up, and I got to love his rubs. He, he makes some incredible stuff. And he started doing some sauces and they're really well. And Phil's just a really great guy. He's running around supporting the community. Um, you know, I, I don't know of anybody that's more of an evangelical for our pork world, um, whether it be barbecue, curing, or whatever. Um, barbecue for me is just a last few year, I want to say, obsession where I've started doing a deep dive. I mean, I've obviously done the backyard stuff, but... Um, it's it's been interesting, but it, I couldn't uh, done it without some people supporting us like Phil. And then J John Gower from England. So you're you're coming from a different place. You're coming from England. Yeah, I mean it's got it's got things in common with New York, maybe in the sense that people don't associate a barbecue tradition like they do maybe with 
deep south. But we've been cooking meat over fire for longer than you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I would say there's not that sort of tradition or style that you associate with the Carolinas or you associate with Texas. But there is cooking over fire. It's what we've always done. So you got you got a, the roast on a spit, and then the meat drips down into the yeah, and people Yorkshire that are willing pudding. to use influences, and that's why I say it's it's got a bit in common with New York. I, my my take on barbecue in New York is that people take their influences from wherever they come from, and they give it a twist, and then they try and create something for themselves. And I think that's what we do in in the UK. We've got a lot of influences, you know, whether that's from our history, from our contact with. The, the Asian subcontinent or whether it's uh, Mediterranean styles that have, that have featured in the cookery Latin American stuff's become really big in the UK now uh, thanks to the kind of Malman explosion you know people cooking over fires and yeah and, and tomorrow and brisket came quite a few uh, brisket tacos yeah seems to be the new yeah. trend but let's go back to so Matt you guys for American barbecue talking about rubs and sauces you know my I'm always more from like Italian traditions New York mm -hmm. City multi multicultural foods um, what is the thing about a rub you know well, why, why do you cook that way why don't you braise things or you know there's so many ways to cook well one would argue that Barbecue is all about fire. It's all about wood. It's all about smoke and cooking low and slow. So braising doesn't really meet the, that criteria if you're cooking in, in, a, in a form of liquid. So the rub is really every pitmaster's or every barbecue enthusiast is really their foundation for a flavor profile of what they're trying to achieve within what they're cooking in the barbecue world. So you can go any different direction you want within the rubs, and that's why they're so much fun and so playful. And, and knowing somebody like Phil Wingo that has the access to uh, all these awesome seasoning plants where you can really have a lot of fun and making specific rubs specific to whatever flavor profile you want to do, whether it's a Latin American flavor, whether it's a, uh, you know, a traditional Southern Carolina style flavor. If it's something you just want to make up completely, if you want to put a little bit of Italian influence into something and kick it up with some oregano, oregano. And, <laughs> and basil, I mean, you can really do whatever you want. And that's what's so much fun about barbecue. And as John said, uh, being able to take influences from across the globe and, and implementing it into what it is you cook. I think that's what's really amazing about what we can do in New York as well and what we do do uh, a lot with our menu at Pig Beach. So it's just fun. Rubs is really the foundation, if you will. If all things staying the same, barbecue's cooked with fire, it's cooked with wood, it's cooked with smoke, your variables are different types of wood. What kind of wood do you prefer to smoke with? Do you prefer like a harder wood, like a hickory or a mesquite, or do you prefer a fruit wood, like cherry, apple, or peach? And those different woods will certainly give different flavors and color profiles on the meat that you're cooking. But a lot of the flavor you're developing is going to be within that rub, and that's why it's so important. John? Uh, yeah. One, uh, going a little bit back to basics, one of the biggest things is, you know, we start a lot of these rubs with salt, which it's, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, it enhances uh, the flavor. But another thing it does is it breaks down the proteins and makes meat a little bit more tender. And then we have the little things like brown sugar or whatever, which is giving you more of a, an almost an outer crust and... And then, yeah, I mean, like everybody will say, you could take all these regional um, variations and aim for their, um, like in Detroit, we have a, a lot of Greek uh, people doing uh, barbecue, which is a little bit different. And, um, you know, there's, I mean, the entire world was discovered based on spices. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of the way the world go down. Yeah, we, I mean, we've been producing rubs, sauces, marinades uh, from the farm for the last 10 years now and again that's how I got to know Phil Wingo you think the barbecue community is kind of a, a cozy little family the rub communities like within that is another little microcosm and I know Phil for a few years the Port Mafia rubs are great met him at Charcuterie event I think is when I first met him over here Okay, um, and he's selling his gear in, in Europe now it's great um, and we were doing the same thing we were we were packaging up rubs that could bring a flavor of a different place to your meal. So whether that's, you know, M Middle Eastern styles, North African styles, some uh, Asian stuff. What are some secret ingredients that put it over the top? I think, I think that you'll see tomorrow. There's a very good one. <laughs> the whole point of the show is to find out what the secret ingredients are. Like we're bringing tomorrow. We're bringing one of our signature rubs, which is, um, it blends smoked peppers, coffee, chocolate, uh, good salt content, nice sugars. I'm using a, a rapadura, like a, 
a palm sugar that I've mixed molasses with. Um, so that's my sugar content for for tomorrow's rub. And I think I think you'll be pleased, Matt. You got, you got a secret recipe yeah, we, for rubs? We do. So our signature rub that we make at Pig Beach through Phil Wingo, actually, one of the unique characteristics for the chili powder that we put into it is we used hatch chili. So we nice. bring in specialty dried hatch chilies to replace that sort of generic chili powder thing, which is kind of a mysterious flavor profile, and it's very different from any bottle of chili powder you pick up anywhere. Hatch chilies is just it's a much more vibrant, full flavor. Uh, profile with the chili powder, and that gives our rub a huge, uh, sort of fun, unique flavor uh, profile John to it. John Patterson, what, what is in that generic chili powder? Oh, I'm, I don't do generic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got some guys in Detroit I play around with, uh, Jason Osborne and my, his buddy Reese. Uh, they're from a company called Felony Provisions, and we do a lot of, we like to play with their food. Um, Szechuan peppercorns are one of my favorite things yes. to play around with. Um, they got a mouth numbing, um, little bit of heat, and uh, but then we do all kinds of crazy stuff with uh, like the last rib contest that was a um, Kansas City Barbecue Society. We we did not play by the rules. We were doing like a miso glaze with kimchi, and everybody just looked at how'd you do? At, oh, we did horrible on the kind of <laughs> Kansas City Barbecue Society rules, but we tasted and we're like, oh, this is Damn, next level good. ribs. Yeah. And um, so we don't we don't want to play by those rules. I dig it. We want to just go crazy and do whatever we Make want. Something delicious and fun and, and unique. What's your barbecue team, Matt? Our barbecue team name is called Salty Rinse. So we primarily compete in and mem- now that we have the restaurant and everything else going on, we don't have too much time to do as many competitions as we uh, normally like to do in the KCBS style. We've only done a couple, but um, Salty Rinse, Memphis and May. That's where you can usually find our whole team together. Cook it up. We do whole hog for that event, and then we do all the ancillary categories. And quick shout out: we're drinking from Hudson Valley Brewery up in the Hudson Valley, a Pilsner. And you can keep up with our, you know, post show write ups. It'll say all the beers that we're drinking today. This is courtesy of Roberta's Pizza. It's they always delicious. have some awesome. great beers on tap. So we'll be tasting a couple of their beers, and uh, I think the bartender is going to bring us a whiskey at some point too. All so. right. Um, and, and and John Gower, you know, you're sitting over there. Yeah. You make rubs. You're, you're a farmer. You're kind of the secret. You're here checking out New York, aren't you? And his voice sounds like straight silk. I, <laughs> I want you to read me a bedtime story later. Well, we'll, we'll organize that. That's why he's my wingman. <laughs> no, I, You're good, Matt. You, you took the words out of my mouth. I like the, um, I like, I like the, the kind of culture. I like the, you said it yourself. There's so many multicultural influences here. It's great. We've got a good friend, Jonathan Forgash. I know he's a friend of yours. He's a great guy to know when you're in New York because he takes you to all the places where you wouldn't necessarily see them straight away. If you're a visitor, he gives you that bit of background knowledge. It's been amazing. Um, yeah, I love it here. Love the competition. Um, you know, I'm a farmer first and foremost, but I was a farmer that had to try and work out how to make a living from from some pigs and that's what I got into charcuterie. That's how I met John Patterson at Salt Cured Pig because we were, we were curing. You know, I've been curing for 12, 15 years now, um, because it was the best way to get the most value out of a out of a pig. I then discovered catering at events and using barbecue as a way to turn our meat into a saleable product that was that was you know going to provide a living. And now we don't sell any meat. Retail, all our all our farm produce goes into catering for festivals, private events, uh, you know, food festivals. Demonstrations. It's like, it's like the ultimate added value for farmers. Is what yeah, and it's really nice. Trying to get, right? It's really nice as well to see um, the full circle. You've you've raised the animals, you've prepared the food, you've put the ingredients together, and that's how the rubs came about. We used to just season our own food, and then we realised we've only got this much meat to sell. So not everyone can buy our meat, but if we packaged up the seasonings, the rubs that we like the best, people can buy the meat from their local butcher and you still get the same, the same dish. And, and we're going to come back and talk to you a little about your philosophy of your farm, too, because you're, you're pretty progressive. But let's just switch this up. One of the themes of the show is what do you drink when you smoke? And we know from, from John Patterson <laughs> that you're drinking uh, some kind of generic lager 
we're pills. Well, that's why we're drinking the Hudson Valley pills to make it a little better. Well, I, you know, before I go on a radio show, I can't, you know, start going into <laughs> double IPAs. But we might drink those. But we also tr- we've got to hear from Roberta's Pizza. We've got um, they have an awesome selection of whiskeys. And Jason Kraft is like the assistant bar manager. Every week he lets me try different whiskeys. So what what do we have today, Leah? Hi. Um. So I got the scoop from Jason and the bar. Um. This is Wild Turkey Rare Breed. So it's 112 proof. Whoa. Um. Super oaky. Uh. It's gonna ha- be like pretty tannic and has some vanilla uh, and toasted caramel notes in it. So they thought it would play well with the barbecue flavors and the smokiness of the barbecue with the oak from the whiskey. And then mm. what, what do you think about that, Matt? I mean, I, do, do, you, do you guys pair your barbecue with whiskey or beer? Do, do you we, think about those things? Oh, Thanks, ab- absolutely. A, a big part of our, our menu at Pig Beach uh, within our cocktail program there is we have a lot of bourbon and whiskey cocktails, and we also have a pretty decent uh, bourbon and whiskey selection because it's kind of like a classical thing that goes with barbecue. I personally love drinking either the uh, like the lightest beer on the planet you can find or like white wine with ice cubes in it. We uh my business partner makes a, a white wine called Salty Rinse. It's 100% Albarino and it's just super light and crisp. And you just like when you're barbecuing in the summer, it's hot and it's just sweaty and you're stinky and smoky. You just want something that's crisp and light and refreshing. Where does he make the wine? It's produced out of Lodi, 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 California, and he gets it bottled and shipped up out to us. So it's it's cool. It's got our barbecue logo on the front of the bottle of the wine, and it's really just light, easy, crisp drinking stuff. And it's I, you know, you can pair beverages in so many different ways with whatever the food you're trying to serve. Whether you want to complement it or you want to contrast it, I'm a big fan of just like the crisp, refreshing this thing happening while eating barbecue because barbecue in itself is a very rich, heavy, delicious food, and I like having something that kind of just can crisp and refresh my palate after eating. But bourbon and whiskeys do go incredibly well with it, too. Gentlemen? It's not something I normally drink, to be honest. Um, you want me to down this on the air? <laughs> go for it. <laughs> These guys are pickled. So since yeah. you guys came to New York, you came in, uh, what, Monday? Yep. Sunday? And how Sunday. many bars and restaurants have you been to? Oh, my God. Um, yeah, proper response. Yep. Um, that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> It is a nice whiskey. Um, many. Oh. And that's made out of rare turkeys. Yeah, wild, wild turkey rare. Whoa. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Roberta's because they've always been to me at the forefront. They have a great wine list, natural wines, spirits. And, and you think of them, you don't think of them as a place for, for beer, but they've got a great draft beer selection always rotating. So we're going to, on that note, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Patina Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center, Rockefeller Center, and Macy's Herald Square. Patina is also the exclusive caterer at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium, to galas in the renovated Palm House, and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can also enjoy a la carte brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Lilypool Terrace. Executive chef Morgan Jarrett's unique menu offers warm, distinctive cuisine with a focus on local vegetables, grains, and sustainably sourced meats and fish. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, it's the 10th anniversary of HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Check it out, become a member. A lot of things are going on, including the uh, monthly Hall of Fame announcements. So check it out, HeritageRadioNetwork.org. So guys, um, we're drinking uh, wild turkey rare from the bar at Roberta's. And you make a bourbon sauce, John? Uh, Yeah, I do. Um, It's one of those things that when you add a good bourbon, um, I'm not going to name anybody bad but i've got a few i really like and i'm willing to spend a little extra money when i make make sauces but it gives you that smokiness the oakiness and a little bit of you know added and i a lot of times when i'm actually uh barbecuing i use oak wood and that's my favorite up in michigan um and it comes out delicious um i i'm not good at uh replicating recipes i'm one of those guys that just wings it every single time um and just like to play with my food. So for you guys, like when you when you're cooking, 
you just you dry rub the meat. Do you ever wet marinate it with with beer or anything else like that? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, as I say, I'm coming from a place where I've got a lot of different influences, and they're not just what we would think of in the UK as US barbecue. Um, so I'm, you know, we do a lot of uh, red wine based, uh, you know, acid based marinades, Italian style. So herbs and red wine for lamb. We do. Um, I'm a big fan of confit in smokers. A lot of the work I do with brisket. Uh, I do confit brisket, confit pork belly, and I find the smoke and the use of beef fat is really nice. Um, and then you, so you confit first, and then you smoke it. Yeah, no, I, I confit it in the, in the smoker. And I, f- I find smokers are a really useful tool because you're tending to run a big chamber at quite a low temperature for a long time. And so, I'm a big fan of filling it with whatever I've got going on. It might not be what I need there and then for that event or that that meal, but. If I confit a load of stuff at the same time, that it's can like go the, in the, the chiller. It's like the community bakery. You can bring in your casserole. Hey, the oven's it's on. Let's all about, bring the casserole. It's all about making the best use of the fuel and the time. It. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the smoke adds to the fat, and then you're left with some good fat that you can use afterwards, and you break that pork belly or that beef brisket out of the fat, slice it up. And it's also got a, a kind of service angle because I'm doing a lot of catering events. I need to be able to serve quickly. So anything that's kind of had a two-stage cooking process is really useful because it's cooked, but then maybe you're uh, grilling it off on a, on a hot grill to serve, or maybe with pork belly confit you're cutting it up and then you're just crisping it up in a, in a, in a cast-iron pan or you know something like that on a chopper. And so, um, so it, 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 I'm a bit of every which way you can with barbecue. It's not, it's not a. It's not a religious thing for me. It's whatever influences I can take. I might see I might see a technique that's used in one place, and I think, oh, I could use that over there with that. Um, see, I, I I I love that you said that because I absolutely couldn't agree more. Uh, we had a restaurant in Manhattan called Pig Bleaker on the corner of Bleaker and Thompson Street, and our place. whole. Yeah goal of that restaurant was to take the theme of smoke and live fire and barbecue and refine it to put it onto a plate in a sit-down restaurant where you had a wine list and a menu and service and all that whole the whole jazz behind that and a lot of the things that we kind of evolved some of that food in is something just like you were talking about we we love to confit duck thighs in the smoker and then i would take that meat pick it, shred it, and I'd make a ragu with it and do this incredible duck lasagna that was one of our signature dishes that we did on the menu. And then we would take that smoked oil and then we'd put it on the plancha to sear off and crisp the lasagna to get it like a nice sort of uh, crusty, crispy edge on it. So you're getting not only the flavor of the smoke from the fat, but you're also getting that flavor of the duck fat through all of it. And, and it's that kind of nose-to-tail thing that, that, that people have got the hang of. Is yeah. that you, you want to use everything from every angle. There's no waste. Uh, it makes you know if you're in a commercial setting, it makes sense, and in a kind of sustainability setting, it makes sense. I think yeah. it, I think it's it's the right way to be, and I think that those kind of techniques and twisting things, uh, we have a strap line under the catering we do in the UK, which is rustic fine dining. Mm-hmm. I'm not a chef, you know, classically trained or anything. I'm a farmer who likes cooking, <laughs> and um, I've not got any tweezers in my. <laughs> so, no microgreens but, but we do like to create a nice meal you know um, but that doesn't mean it can't be something using that barbecue tradition it doesn't have to be some huge pile of meat all the time it could be it could be a whole load of different techniques that have come together to make a really quite refined dish so a lot of wedding catering we're doing um, you know it's nice it's plated up nicely but it's all you know we don't use any electricity it's all cooked on fires or smokers um, and that that's kind of where we got our reputation from in the UK. Matt, at, at Pig Bleaker, didn't you also make a really interesting ravioli? We did. Again, taking the play on sort of traditional barbecue, we would go and smoke our briskets in the traditional style that we would. And then taking my... Uh, it's funny that you said you don't have a pair of tweezers because my nickname in Memphis in May was the tweezer chef because prior to getting into barbecue, <laughs> I was a chef de cuisine at Del Posto restaurant for four years. I worked Fair there enough. for 10 and uh, not that I ever even used a pair of tweezers in my life. If Mark Ladner caught me using a pair of tweezers at Del Posto, he'd probably slap my hand. But uh, 
that I always used to call me the tweezer chef, but we made this incredible ravioli where we took sort of my Italian fine dining and barbecue and kind of merged it together. And we made this beautiful egg yolk, rich, fresh pasta dough that we stuffed with a brisket filling that was mixed with lots of caramelized onions, confit garlic, some mascarpone cheese, Parmesan cheese. We chopped it all up, stuffed it in there and we slathered it in a black truffle butter. And I made a Barolo red wine jelly that got drizzled over the top of it. So it's just kind of a way of taking the heart and soul of, of smoked meat and barbecue and just kind of twisting it and putting it into a different vessel of a way of serving it. And we always had a lot of fun at Pig Bleaker doing that sort of style of food with, you know, barbecue and smoke and live fire as the sort of base foundation. A plug for a couple of other chefs, too. I, I really like where, where barbecue's going in New York City and, and through the Brisket King event. Um, a couple of the kosher chefs have, have really gone further with that as well. Like Izzy's uh, Brooklyn Barbecue has now opened Izzy's Taqueria, yep. where he's, he's doing uh, Ecuadorian Central American tacos. I mean, it's interesting to me that the barbecue and taco thing didn't explode so much sooner because the barbecue meat is just like the most perfect taco filling. They're made, they're made to go together, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you just get, whether it's a flour tortilla or a corn tortilla, and whether it's pulled pork or brisket or turkey or beer can chicken or shredded chicken or shredded... I mean, it's all like the most perfect thing to go inside there and then you take the you know central american latin american flavors of the salsas and everything and top it onto it i mean who doesn't want to eat that i'm well, getting again, i'm salivating it, now thinking about having it, one. And it oh, comes, yeah it comes back to that really important point that you you made earlier which is that and i know a lot of barbecue tends to be sweet and thick and rich and we were talking the other day and you've hit on it there is what the latin american influence brings is that acid um, yes and yeah the carolina you know vinegar sauce for me is is where it's at because it cuts through and I got some great friends that were at Metopia last year cooking from Sweden. Funnily enough, they've got... Metopia, London. Yeah, Metopia, London. Um, and they are Holy Smoke Barbecue in Sweden. And they've got... I think, actually, they've got Aaron Franklin's old smokers from the... Um, his homemade ones from the old the old smokehouse. And um, and they've got that down to a T. You know, they did a great uh, pig, pig cheek dish. But they used apple and dill and cider vinegar... And it just gives it that freshness that cuts through, you know, the, the meat's rich enough. You don't need to be slathering it with, with a thick, rich, sweet sauce, you know. So a little bit of acid in there just to cut through that is, is fantastic. And, I, I love yeah. everything you're saying right now. Yeah. I'm and like salivating. I know. And John, you know, the, you're part of this phenomenon, the, the salt-cured pig. It's like an invite-only Facebook group. Oh, no, we've opened it up now. It is. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that are on it. I posted something, one of our winners from Brisket King, 2014, Will Horowitz, a duck seedery, he did a crazy 10-month, uh, I said it was, he said it was dry, aged, and smoked. And I posted a great photo of it on your site. And, of course, right away, everybody on the site is asking really particular questions that I didn't know. Yeah. Well, so we, Tell us about your site and the type of questions people are asking, how deep they go in, in that meat community. Oh, we can go very deep. Um, we've got some great professionals. Um, like me and John were talking, John Gower, about when he first joined, he was like amazed by the, the amount of talent in a room. Um, some of his culinary heroes, and he's like, wow, they're here. Um, and a lot of them have stayed, and they've helped, you know, explaining a lot of these processes. Uh, curing meats at certain levels is very intimidating. You're, you're like, oh. I'm going to take meat. I'm going to add salt and some flavors and throw a lot of time at it, but it's not being cooked. And it's like a lot of people have that uh, hesitancy with sushi. It's like, oh, that's not cooked. I'm not going to eat that. Um, but we've got people um, that have been curing hams for five years, one ham straight. We've got people that are, you know, doing all kinds of complex things. What they're dealing with um, uh, aspects that are just, I, I, I don't even want to get, depth because it'll just take a lot of time but we got food safety people we've got people that are uh really creative um what's what's the biggest issue with food safety like you're curing meat um trying not to kill everyone that eats this (laughs) (laughs) well i know it's botulism that can kill you but what what steps do you do to prevent that well it's like a 101 well there's a lot Since of I'm still drinking the Hudson Valley pills. Right <laughs> now. Ten seconds, John. Come on. And the wild turkey <laughs> rare. Well, there are different levels. Like when you're doing a, a solid muscle, you're not grinding it up and ex- bringing all those exterior uh, bacteria or anything else into the meat into the middle. Um, so when you do grind, you want you know some nitrates, you know a cure going on. But sometimes you just do the whole muscle. You can just do flavorings and the salt. Um, and you the whole muscle, like a leg, 
um, for the neck muscle or any, um, there's a lot of these different uh, muscles that just the outside is where the problem is. You throw the salt on it and make that environment just where they can't live. Um, and it, you know, then you slowly let the water seep out. And um, but when you start getting into grinding sausages and things like that, and you want to add, start talking about pH levels and things like that. Um, where's acidification? Then there's you know you're, you're working on many many levels. Um, which I'm going to say, if you want to learn more, come join the Salt Cured Pig because I can't sum it up in 10 seconds. But basically, basically, there's two, two, two basic principles. One, making the atmosphere, whether it's within the product or on the outside of the product or whether it's within the atmosphere that you're curing it in and drying it in, inhospitable for the wrong bacteria and super hospitable for the right ones. Yeah. So you're effectively helping this balance uh, of anything that's potentially dangerous, making it too salty, too dry uh, for that to live, and just the right amount of sugars for uh, lacto, you know, ac yeah. acidification or for um, other useful bacteria to, to thrive, and they will do the job for you. Then you know, once once the war is won, and you've got these, that's why you see that nice white furry mold on on the kind of good salami and things like that, which is a relative penicillin. Yeah. Uh, and that's done the job. That's winning the, the little bacterial war that's going on. Um, I'm getting hungry. I yeah. love it. <laughs> some places locally, I mean, and, and just in the city, there's uh, Ibuko Elementary, which is in, near me in the Noho East Village. And they've got a really ambitious uh, charcuterie program. I know they buy half and whole pigs from Flying Pigs Farm and make almost everything in-house. Do you, do you do any charcuterie, Matt? Uh, not not at Pig Beach, not anymore. But in my career, in my time, we've definitely dabbled in uh, homemade charcuteries. When I was in Boston, uh, the chef that I was working for sent me out to Iowa State University. I took a short course in, in dry and semi-dry sausage making. And I think in a nutshell, to answer the earlier question is like, what's the most important thing to sort of prevent is, you know, the, these guys, when they're doing these massive scales of making cured meats, they have a HACCP plan. So they're monitoring basically every step of the way of the temperature that the meat came in, the state that the meat came in. And then uh, HACCP stands for hazard analysis, critical control point. So they're marking every step along the way where something could potentially go wrong. So if refrigeration is probably a huge thing, airflow is a huge thing. Um, you know, he mentioned pH. That's like in the process of the meat's curing. So there's there's all these steps that these guys are monitoring every part of the way to make sure that nobody's going to get sick along the process. And then also recognizing when something goes wrong to say, all right, I'm not going to serve that. That certainly did not come out right. But as a uh, home consumer, if you're You'd be surprised well, yes. <laughs> it, at home, guys, if you are messing around with making your own charcuterie at home, if it doesn't smell, look or taste right, just don't eat it. No that's gray probably, meats. Yeah, no gray meats. If there's worms in it, that's not good. Somebody <laughs> might tell you that's a delicacy. Uh, if the outside is really, really hard and dry and the inside looks like rotten meat, don't eat that either. It's you know Things can go wrong, especially within the grinding of the sausages yeah. and, and whatnot. But uh, definitely have some fun with it because there's so many cool things you can do with it. But start on the basics and the things that I get overlooked because everyone gets carried away with the kind of fancy, you know, five-year aged hams and the salami and the, is bacon. Make mm -hmm. some bacon. It, Everyone should make their own bacon. Once you've learned how to make your own bacon, it's a superpower. You, you'll never look back. You, duck breast yep. and egg yolks yep. are, are, I think, the two yep. best to start with, then bacon. So start, um, start with the duck breast. Um, What's a basic recipe? I don't even want off the top of my head, but it's... it's, it's You're supposed to. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have anything off the top of my head. Um, I, and I very, very rarely make it, but uh, I, I do do the, the egg yolks. Quite often, and it's very basically doing is you um, bury them in salt and um, just have kind of like a Tupperware dish and break out the yolks. And a lot of people are, What the hell do you want that for? If you grind it like on pasta, it's absolutely delicious. It's a little salty, it's like making and it's your own homemade botarga, but with chicken eggs, for exactly. instance, fish eggs, or even du duck eggs are awesome too. Um, but those are the, the where we start. Also, when you're dealing with eggs, what's your cost? Um, we start talking about people. Yeah. And so when you start curing meats, sometimes we say, hey, go ahead and start with the commodity. Make sure it comes, you know, don't go to spend an $8 a pound on some super pig. Start, you know, start low, cheap, work your way up. Once you've got the confidence and you've got the intelligence and of the, the process, then that's when you want to start amping your game up slowly. Um, another thing we also, a very common question we get about when you're talking about molds, 
It was like, oh, there's white molds. Is that good? And we were like, yeah, that's fine. And then we get to the green molds, and people are like, hmm, that's iffy. But, I mean, there's some places in Italy, you look up at the roof, and you just got tons of porking in them, and it's all green. Black? Never trust a black mold. <laughs> or an orange or a purple one. Aaliyah, that's another quote for the <laughs> yeah. show. Never trust a black mold. I like that. Yeah, and Matt's, Matt's not on the head. So, Matt, I, you're, you're my ultimate barbecue chef because you've got these great kind of classical, fine training, Italian restaurant well, experience, you. and your barbecue. So, well, you know, I, I got really kind of lucky. I fell into the barbecue game by just sort of happenstance. I was actually taking a trip to Austin, Texas to taste. Uh, American barbecue and how it correlated to the region of Abruzzo for Abruzzo barbecue for a project that Mark Ladner and I were working on. And I just so happened to fall in love with it, met my business partner, That's Rob Schauder. That's where my grandmother's from, Abruzzo. Oh, really? Uh, beautiful region. <laughs> beautiful region. And uh, just fell in love with it, met my current business partner, one of my best friends. We started barbecuing as a There's hobby. There's bears in the hill. Yeah, Abruzzo is just yeah. like south of Johnny Cash. Yeah, that's right. So, and it's, it's oh my god, there's so much love and beauty and culture out there. But I just got into it as sort of a fun hobby, and then sort of took a, a, a big career leap of faith into doing it. And we've had a lot of success so far at Pig Beach. But I do have a question for John, uh, really right. quickly. You started mentioning getting into those fancier pigs. What is your favorite pig to cure or to make charcuterie out of? It depends on what you're trying to cure. So are you a big fan of, like, the super, super high-fat content pigs like... Um, no. Um, uh, Mangalista. Mangalista. Had a huge craze in the past couple of years. Yes. I think it's finally starting to die down. Mangalitza but how do you feel about Mangalista? is a good pig to breed your other Mike pigs. Mike with. Oh. <laughs> 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 no, um, I like a Burke. Um, yeah. Berkalitza uh, is what we call them, but it's basically Berkshire and a, a Mangalitza mixed. Mm -hmm. um, there's a phenomenal farmer, a couple farmers out of uh, the west coast of Michigan to make some. But I like red wattles. I do like the Berkshires. Yeah. Um, Will you mention those farmers? Do you know? Uh, Mike and Michelle, uh, I'm going to slaughter last name, DeChef, I think. But they were uh, they went to Koshan in Chicago, and their pig came out on top there. Um, I've had some of it, and it's just so magnificent. Berkshire and Mangalista. Mixed. I know what you're saying. You're, you're nodding, and John's nodding, too. I remember those Mangalistas. It was about five years ago. Oh, my no, God. I mean, to be fair, you know... They're like greasy fat. Yeah, well, but, but fat. I mean, the, there's some great flavors. But for me, it's not so much about the breed of a pig. It's about how a pig's been looked after. I mean, we've got all sorts of breeds on the farm. Uh, my favorite pig's my pigs. <laughs> yeah, well, there's another expression out there is that it's feed over breed. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, a lot of it, you are what you eat. So if you're just shoving, sowing corn at a pig, it's not going to be that interesting. But, you know, like in Spain, they're known for the acorns. But... Here in the United States, the acorns don't have the same tannins, but barley does really here well here, and some other things. Um, it's yeah, but there are th certain things like I was saying, if you're doing a ham or you're doing a copa, I think there's, uh, there's back fat there's, lardo. There's traits, there's traits within breeds that you want to encourage. That obviously it makes sense to start with the right animal, but I mean, we on the farm we don't feed any concentrates, and our pigs take as long as they take. That, yeah, that's, that's so age. Age yeah. equals flavor. A varied wild diet equals flavor. Um, it how makes how well do the pigs you typically slaughter? Do you get them to two years, or you go longer ours, than that? Ours, ours are kind of fifteen months average. Yeah, um, and and it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference if you're trying to make product from them in terms of curing or sausage. Um, but it just makes a big difference, even if even if you're eating fresh, because you've got. You've the animals had a chance to develop the flavour, and these these fast-grown things, um, for as well as for all the other reasons that that's not a good model. Matt, when you ask that question, what what cut do you want to cure? Because obviously you're thinking about it. Well, I mean, I I've definitely dabbled in experience in tons of curing of different cuts and in different breeds of pigs. More so just for the home connoisseur that's trying to get into it, because. It might be difficult for them to get one of your incredible pigs or one of your farmer friends' pigs. So if they're going yeah. to the grocery store or their butcher shop, like what, what are they looking for? What can they try to get to do it at home? Good pork is, well, pork is a red meat. Everybody's used to this expression of the other white meat. Worst slogan to ever go to pork. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's great animal, if you're trying to sell really crappy pork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But when a pig is, you know, out on a pasture and everything, it's getting a lot of things from the ground. And one of those things it gets is uh, iron. And it's going to attack its, uh, uh, not attack, but um, it's going to influence the color of the meat. And it's it's going to get that reddishness. Um, 
and you know when you, when you go to a I won't name any big box stores um, supermarket supermarket wherever but um yeah you're not going to be you're getting something that's in a crate that's living in a very small environment and it's being fed corn soy and not mm-hmm. anything interesting um, it's but I, like I said get your technique down with it don't start wasting money on really good pigs until yeah. you know what you're doing. So it's okay to just kind of get a commodity a black, pig to start practicing on. Yes, a black molded. Um, <laughs> don't want that. Yeah, the black mold mystery. Don't yeah, want that. no. So I mean, and I know there's but a I mean, lot of, but uh, we, outdoor raised pigs must be. I don't know what it's like here. I don't, I've not bought pigs here, but outdoor raised pigs as a as a kind of baseline. You hear past, pasture raised well, pigs. Yeah, there thought, are, but right, there's I, there's some yeah. farmers out that are still you know. Raising uh, their pigs on an eight by eight square foot slab of cement um, and feeding it, you know, yeah. the corn soy mix. Um, but if the if the pig is eating off grass, it's it's getting into the roots, and especially if it's free range. There's we like a place down uh, West Virginia called Black Oak Collar where it's running through the woods and it's eating acorns and all kinds of things and tubers and grubs and everything. That's some of the best stuff I've ever had. That, that one sounds good. Guys, we're going to take one more short break. We'll be back in another minute on Beer Sessions Radio, and we're going to taste an Interborough Double IPA on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. All right. Rock and roll. All right. So now let's pour those next Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. All right, so uh, Brisket King, New York's tomorrow. Uh, Pig Beach's special fundraiser uh, for sadly departed uh, Jeff Mishners this weekend. Um, Matt from Pig Beach, again, one more time. How can people continue to support the family of Jeff Mishner thank you uh, for, through GoFundMe? Thank you. So for all of you that weren't able to make it to the event on the 13th. There is a link on our website, www.pigbeachnyc that will take you right to the GoFundMe page, or you can go to GoFundMe.com and search Jeff Michener Barbecue Benefit. If you can find it in your hearts, dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars, or whatever is within your means, we're looking to raise money to take care of Jeff's baby girl, Hayes, who uh, he only had 16 months with. That's great. And sorry about that, man. But anyways, next, move on. Uh, Interborough, you, you guys, earlier we were drinking at the bar. Yes, sir. Barbecue chefs. Uh, John Patterson said, well, this isn't my kind of uh, IPA, and John Gower joined in. Um, this is an Interborough double IPA. Mm-hmm. And um, Matt, you said at Pig Beach, you guys, you have a guy in Lodi, California making you a wine. <laughs> You've got a brewery in New York making a beer for you. We do. Well, we have a few breweries in New York that we that we work with, but Interborough is certainly one of our favorites, and we've partnered with them, and they make us a beer called a Back to the Grill IPA. It's not a double IPA. And what's interesting about IPAs for me is that I was mentioning earlier on the show about how I like the lightest possible beer you can find, like so light that you don't even want it to really taste like beer anymore. And IPAs are super hoppy, typically, and double IPAs are even hoppier. Uh, But Innerborough does an incredible brew over there, and they make a ton of different flavors. And the double IPA, you know, usually when you're having a double IPA, it's going to be really hoppy and really high alcohol content. So you can drink a few, and you end up getting a little crooked quicker than normal. But uh, they are delicious, and Innerborough makes a great product, and we we love using them a lot at Pig Beach. And, John, you said that you like uh, like a Founders All Day IPA. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll be honest. I like all IPAs. Is John Gower that says is my IPA. He's from England. And an IPA there is completely different than the IPAs here. Um, it's much crisper, cleaner. Um, but I, I love the session uh, IPAs like Founders, um, All Day IPA. I love that one because, yeah, you can drink a lot of them. I think if, if, I'm, standing, them. if I'm drinking when I'm smoking, if I'm standing outside of the grill of the smoker, I'm going to drink a lot of beer. If, if you're, you're cooking a brisket, how much beer can you drink? You need low alcohol. <laughs> You're not done in two hours. <laughs> Depends. You, you got to stay awake in there. <laughs> and I, I run a at my place. I got a trailer, a Lang, and it's no propane. I don't cook on propane at all. It's a stick burner. Like every thirty five minutes, I'm throwing a piece of wood in it. 
you can't fall asleep on that. So well, that's the so that's where we're getting the other side of this whole barbecue thing, cooking with wood. I know we I've been the hashtag from England is country wood smoke. I like I like seeing the the English. Yeah, that's that's the hashtag of of a guy called Marcus Borden who um, does a fair bit of barbecuing in the UK. He's kind of one of the guys on the scene. Um, but it's not so. It's not like yeah. you're not really just. I mean, we think oh, there's that big smoker. You're not just plugging it in and it's going all night. So you really you have to work it. So your guys like this big beach event on on Saturday. Are all those guys coming in and staying up overnight? Well, and you know what that that cooking? is a, that is a really great question. So. Primarily speaking, in competition-based barbecue, you are not allowed to use propane assist or gas-assisted cookers of, of any kind. So that means you have the langs, you have the stick burners, or you're burning charcoal with wood in it to like create the heat and create the smoke and the flavor. A lot of commercial barbecue restaurants that start doing big, big volume do use gas-assisted uh, smokers. At Pig Beach, we have pretty much exclusively old hickory pits of who we of what we use we're big fans of them they do a great job they are hooked up to natural gas lines so you can actually set a thermostat on it and we can load up the chamber where the wood hits so if a big fire rages it sets the wood on fire the wood creates a smoke which fills the chamber and the thermostat knows when to kick on the, the the flame or turn it off which makes it very convenient that being said there are times where something could go wrong or the electricity could go out or something could happen and then you've lost any sort of full assist that you might have with that propane. So we do have an overnight smoker that monitors and loads the pits and unloads them and, and seasons meats and does all that sort of stuff. But we do have gas assisted at Pig Beach just because we're, we're cooking such large volume on such a regular basis that it'd be very, very, very challenging to continue to keep uh, just adding wood and charcoal all day, every day. But Adding wood and charcoal and cooking in that way certainly gives an incredible flavor to whatever it is that you're barbecuing on. It's just kind of, you know, whatever works best for your environment for what you're trying to do. Yeah, I could never trash a restaurant that has propane assist. I mean, just keeping up with the wood on my one single trailer. Is That's hard. It's a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, and so, John, you're actually like monitoring the temperature. You got to monitor the temperature. And what you're doing you're, a brisket? What do you what do you want that temperature to stay? I at? I mean, I'm do mine really slow, uh, two twenty five almost uh, sixteen hours. Um, it's an overnight venture. I'm up all night, and I do my uh, whole hogs like the same way. And, and I remember I did an event um, last year where I literally got out of work on a Friday night, um, went to the location where I was catering at. My uh, local pig farmer came by with a pig. Uh, we butchered it down a little bit to be able to spatchcock it in my um, cooker and got it on there probably 8 o'clock. And uh, the event wasn't actually until 3 p.m. the next day. And like I said, 35 minutes. I'm, I'm you know, got to throw an air log on there. Keep the temperature watching around 225. Um, and there's a lot of different, you know, a lot, there's arguments like about fast cooking brisket, slow cooking brisket. Um, tonight ours is going slow. Um, last year we went fast. Um, we're playing around with it and having their, you know, basically me and John are here to have a good time. And yes, what about sir. tomorrow? So you, by the time you listen to this, the Brisket King will have been done. But yeah, if you so did, what if you are you serving? You can tell us. If you didn't make it to Brisket King uh, tomorrow, then um, we're, we're humbled. Uh, you know, we're, we're, really, we're really grateful. Uh, I commiserate <laughs> Matt. Who knows the winners? Nearly, but nearly. maybe next year. So what are you sort of... <laughs> there's innovation in bar... You guys are... England and Michigan come together. Yeah. What are you, what are you making? You can tell us. Uh, we're doing a... So we're doing a, a kind of mocha brisket um, with chocolate, smoked chilies, coffee, uh, this nice sugar. So you do, you're doing a smoked brisket. So we're doing a smoke traditional kind of smoked brisket. I've trimmed quite a bit of fat off it. Um, yep. For me, uh, the briskets I'm using a lot of in England are, are all grass-fed. We don't really do grain-fed beef in, in England. So we're used to, I'm used to cooking a much leaner cut. And for me here, even the lean meat is so much juicier and... and um, a lot more in a mu muscular fat. Yeah. So, so I trim quite a bit of fat off. Um, I'm smoking it in a really heavy rub. I mean, I rub it and rub it and rub it. I, I want a crust of that kind of um, coating on there. And... Um, and then I'm serving it with a with a traditional British theme, which uh, is a, a horseradish cream. So we've got horseradish, we've got sour cream, we've got uh, a few other little ingredients. That, that sounds juice. good to me. Beef and horseradish. And then sauce. we're serving it in 
a miniature Yorkshire pudding. Shut up. <laughs> Are you really? Go home now. I'm done. I'm just going to come over and eat theirs. Is that okay? What are you going to make? It's on the spot. You're so, going to make some brisket so ravioli? We, we, no, no, we're not doing brisket. So we, we are doing, uh, as we said earlier on the show, how we wanted to do an ode to Jeff because this was a competition that he always wanted to do. We're serving his sandwich that he put on the menu at Pig Beach. So it's a 14-hour cooked brisket. We get big boys. They're like 15 pounds or larger. So anywhere between 15 pounds and 18 pound briskets they take about 12 to 14 hours to cook we cook ours around 225 sometimes around 250 if we're in a, in a hurry we need to push it a little bit faster we start off we smear it with yellow mustard hit it with some salt pepper garlic and onion throw it in the smoker um and then when we're done we slice it up it's going to go on a potato martin's potato roll with some of our rob's righteous red barbecue sauce that we make in-house also available on our website if anybody interested to purchase it so you uh, can buy rubs and sauces you, all right. you can buy our rubs and our sauces <laughs> online at pigbeachnyc.com go to the link on the store uh and then we serve it with some house cured pickles and some crispy onions on that martin's potato roll so it's just a that sounds good delicious, can we throw out a bite. question for everybody sure um <laughs> And I know this is a big controversy everywhere in uh, the brisket world. Um, dealing with the stall and when do you wrap? That's a great question. Wait, John, Can just I, explain that one more. What a lot of times when you're you're cooking up to a temperature and you're cooking with brisket, it has you know you're going up to a temperature and then you realize the temperature will just stall before you you know it's like okay why are you not getting any warmer? Um, but eventually it will get over it and you know you mean but, the internal temperature? Yes. Um, so your probe is sitting in there and you're, you're like, okay, come on, come on, come on. And, uh, more, some people just throw more logs onto the fire, trying to push past it, which I don't believe in. It'll eventually get past that point. It's, I I can't explain it, why it does it. But then also one of the things that we do is you get to this point where, um, you get a good bark on your brisket. And I think a lot of this question is like John Gower, you know, from England, it's leaner. And then what we have over here is uh, fatter, and depends on how we trim, how much fat you're leaving on there. Um, but then there's a certain point where you say, okay, I like the bark outside, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, and then there's, you know, are you wrapping in uh, plastic wrap, foil, butcher's paper? Um, there's a lot of little different things you can do. Okay, Matt. Well, I, you know what? I, I love that question because a lot of people, that, especially at home, that are cooking a brisket for the first time, they panic. Because typically what's happening at around 155 degrees is what this John's talking about. This is the stall, where basically what's happening in that piece of protein is that the rate of evaporation of the moisture within it is cooling down the meat at the same level as a low temperature oven is heating it. So there's no progress. So if you're cooking at 225 or 235 or 245 or 250, the temperature of the smoker is not hot enough to push through that evaporation of moisture on the outside, which is cooling down that protein. So what people will do at that point is it's called the Texas crutch, yes. typically. And it's either wrapped, as he just said, people will wrap it in plastic wrap and then foil and put it back in the smoker, which contains all that steam and all that heat, which helps push you through that stall. Some people will wrap in just plain like peach or white colored butcher paper, non-waxed, non-waxed, non-waxed. If you guys are doing this home, don't use non-waxed. waxed butcher paper, please, because uh, it'll make your brisket into a brisket candle, which mm. is no bueno. And uh, or some people will just increase the temperature of the smoker to push through that stall. And basically what I found in my cooking is that these are the three factors I like. I prefer a brisket that does not get wrapped because I really like that crunchy bark that happens on the outside of it. Um, If I do have to wrap, I would suggest doing with just butcher paper because the butcher paper allows for some moisture to escape. Whereas if you do wrap with plastic wrap and foil, the texture of your brisket is going to turn into more of a pot roasty like thing. And all that beautiful bark that you were trying to create kind of washes off. And you might as well braise it in liquid. Yeah. Well, that's where I get, you know, to the point where with John's dealing with this much leaner brisket mm-hmm. than what we're dealing with. So I think the dynamics do change there. I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. I think, I think there's a couple of things I'd say. We only have a few minutes. In left. answer to that question, which is, um, first, I don't think there are any rules. There are. Um, the, the, there are. If you're in a hurry and you have to have it done, wrap it up. If you're not, most of the time I would prefer to just let it ride. Uh, the stall is only a stall if you're looking at it. <laughs> That's <laughs> a and, good point. <laughs> go and do something else. Yeah. <laughs> and Take a the nap. best bit of advice I can give to anyone that's new to barbecue is start earlier <laughs> yep that's incredible <laughs> not no that is incredible advice because nobody I, ever plans for enough time when there's when there's it'll be fine for cook. hours when I, it's done but no one wants to be sitting there waiting for something that isn't done and i would fully admit i never use a probe i go by the jiggle god bless you 
That's a, that's a you, talent. You guys have been awesome. And big shout out to Matt. It's the first time I've met you, and it's so great to hear about your really great culinary background, man. Thank you, Mark Ladner, Del Posto. It's been a pleasure. Um, this you. is quite the room of meat and farm and pig and pork and brisket experts. So I'm I'm honored to be here, and I'm looking forward to having you guys at Brisket King uh, tomorrow night. Great. Um, again, Jeff, uh, pigbeachnyc.com. You That's can right. support the the GoFundMe for um, the family of pitmaster Jeff Michener. So um, let's raise a toast to him. We got an yes, Interboro Double IPA. Um, again, to your friend and family. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for coming on, Matt and and John and John. Um, good luck to you guys tomorrow. See you um, tomorrow night. By the time we, we listen to this show, we will know the winner of the Brisket King NYC 2000. 19 is it going to be kosher izzy's uh taqueria coming back from his 2017 win is it going to be second place from last year john gower and don't tell john me Patterson? i'm peaked, jimmy don't tell me I'm is peaked. it going to be uh <laughs> matt from pig beach and there's quite a few other pretty know. good there's morgan's there's uh john stage is back at dinosaur barbecue if you ever followed his history great barbecue out of syracuse one of the first pioneers he's back and took control again over his company yep. so we're expecting a lot ash folk at hill country barbecue some classic texas some really good people there and, and everyone big homage to billy Durney, hometown barbecue he kind of helped right. put the event on the map a few years ago he won in 2015 some of his proteges have have been uh featured last year uh Robert cherry street that. barbecue yeah. His, one of his buddies out of uh, Toronto won. Mm-hmm. So a lot of good things happening. But, guys, we could go on for another hour, but Indeed. you guys check it out. Pig Beach NYC, oh, Quiet Waters Farm, and Saltwater Pig. Um, Salt thanks for joining pig. us. Salt Cured Pig. I always get it. <laughs> Anyways, everybody, thanks. Justin Kennedy, producer, Matt Patterson, engineer, um, Aaliyah Papes, our, our intern and assistant producer. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks for joining us on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Peace. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.